Alrighty, good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How are you doing this morning? See, I kind of felt like after this week, it might be a little bit, kind of the energy level might be a little bit low, so I figure I might need to give us a second chance this morning. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> good, good. Man, we're glad you're here. This has been a, a fun week, an energetic week, and in some ways an exhausting week. We had, obviously, Camp RPC, we've talked about that, and I'm going to mention that in just a second, but then also yesterday, there's a team of us finishing up the Habitat house. Uh, they were laying sod. Uh, so for those people, definitely this morning, the backs hurt, the legs ache, but man, just thank you. I, I want to begin this morning by just kind of giving a, a word from my heart as a pastor, just of some things I've seen over the last couple of weeks, just uh, the, the excitement, the energy level, and just the commitment to service, whether it was uh, our, our students leaving for camp a couple of weeks ago and the, the adults that traveled with them, uh, and just the excitement level that was there to all the work that's being done on, on Habitat, but especially... Uh, this past week, I've heard a lot of people remark over the last several days that we think this is the best VBS that we've ever put on here at Ridgepoint Church. Uh, I was watching kind of midway through the week. There was someone kind of sitting in the back, and, and literally every time I looked at this person throughout the week, they just had the biggest smile on, the fa- on their face, and, and I kind of walked up and, and was talking to them, and they said, man, this is the, the most amazing thing ever, uh, that there's so much creativity and, and talent and, and energy, uh, and I know a lot of people put in a lot of hours to make that happen. Uh, and so when you came in on each of the weeknights to see that, it was a product of all the work that was put in. Uh, so from my heart to, to everyone here, thank you for the work that's been put in on all these different things. Uh, we said at the beginning of the summer that we think this is a strategic time for us as a church. Uh, a lot of churches take a break during the summer and take the foot off the pedal. And we said, man, we want to continue to reach our, our area for Jesus and to do our best. And we've seen that in a number of ways uh, with the bass tournament and then house dedication right around the corner. But two things that I, I want to let you guys know about that are coming up that are a really big deal for the mission of Ridgepoint Church. It's, it's amazing to think about. It feels like summer's just beginning, and yet today's July 1st, and within a month, kids are going to be ready, getting ready to go back to school. And, and it seems like the older you get, the faster those summers go. Uh, and, and so it's been a really good summer. We said, I mean, we want to continue to reach people this summer. There's been some cool things happening Two things to let you know about as we start to look towards the fall. First of all, one of our core things we do here at Ridgepoint Church, if you're new to Ridgepoint Church, you might not be aware of this, but in the fall, we always launch our group campaign where we don't just have church on Sunday, but we have groups meeting at people's homes throughout the week, and we want to be able to create more space. We have some changes we're going to make this coming fall. You hear about the next couple of weeks when it comes to groups, some additional things we're going to be able to do this, this coming fall. Uh, but we also have our traditional kind of the family groups that have been meeting. And so we want to create more space for more people to get plugged in. If you're interested at all in either hosting or leading one of those, those family groups, we're going to have two different days for training. You, can, you choose one or the other, but two different days. Just kind of get everyone together and say, hey, here's some things you'll, you'll hear coming up in the fall this year. So if you're interested at all in either hosting or leading a family group, uh, the two training dates are July 18th at 7 p.m., or July 22nd, which is a Sunday, right after the second service. You pick one or the other if you're interested in hosting or leading a family group. And the second thing, and this is for everybody, we've got a special day. We've never done this before, but coming up on Sunday, August 5th, in both services, we're going to have our MVP Sunday. We'll talk more about what that means as we get closer to it. But we want to let everyone know, we're kind of gearing up for the fall, but we said we don't just want to throw the summer away. We've seen some really cool things. Uh, Tennis last week was incredible for being in the middle of the summer. So we're excited about what what is taking place. If you have any questions, please feel free to talk to us about any of those things. But let's get started with a new series this morning we're calling Issues. 
I'm going to begin with what it seems like nowadays on, on Facebook and social media, people are putting up like these statements as unpopular opinions, and they'll kind of share, this is their opinion about things, and, and, and it's meant to be a statement that kind of provokes discussion on Facebook, which can be good, but is often bad. But I want to begin with this morning with an unpopular opinion that when I say it, it's not going to seem unpopular and it's not going to seem out of place for me to be saying this, but I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that as I talk about it. So here's the unpopular opinion. I love church. Now, I know as soon as you hear that, you're like, of course you love church, like you're the pastor. But here's what I've seen, and I kid you not, over the last 20 years of being involved in churches uh, throughout kind of the central Florida area, I've seen a lot of people and I've seen a lot of church staff and pastors that say, I, I, I believe in the church but the church has fought about so many stupid things through the years that, that sometimes my love for the church kind of comes and goes. Like, and, and I've seen that even lately out of some pastors that I love dearly, and, and, and they say, man, I, I still want to love the church. But I've seen the church, and some of us are here today, a product of, man, there was this stuff that happened in the church, and I was ready to give up on church entirely. How many of you have ever been a part of a church that fought about the color of the carpet in the church? Like I've seen, we laugh, but I've seen that happen. I've seen people fight about uh, what style of music, what Bible translation. Like, like we, we get into these things that really, and here's the thing. Whenever we go into our opinions or we try to read something out of scripture that isn't there, we go into, into a really, really dangerous spot. And I saw this the first time I was on staff at a church. I was a really young youth pastor. I was at a fairly traditional church. And, and, and we fought about some of those things. I saw them fought, fight about, we actually voted on the color of the carpet, all the stuff that we were going to do, which is uh, kind of a silly way to try to get a couple hundred people to agree on the color of anything. It seems like a silly way to do it. Uh, but they did all of those things. And then I heard two discussions uh, that for me almost blew my mind as a young youth pastor. I was sitting in, in church one morning, and, and church had just let out. And I had a lady, and she wasn't even that much older than us, but she came up to us, came up to me as a youth pastor, and it seems like there was a teenage girl that was sitting a couple of rows in front of her. And the teenage girl had really long hair, and she kept just flipping through her hair during the service, which I understand that can be a little bit annoying. But she was flipping through her hair, and I don't know how much it happened, but, but she felt the need to come up to me and say, J.J., you have to correct her. She's flipping her hair through the whole service. And, and like, I understand how that could be annoying, but I'm like, at the same time, here's a teenage girl who's going against the kind of the culture of the day, and she's in church every Sunday. And, and maybe you want to go up and say, hey, just let her know it's a little bit distracting. But to go in to get a pastor and say, hey, go in and make sure this girl's confronted about this seemed kind of silly. Even sillier, at the same church, uh, we went through a change. The church was trying to modernize a little bit. And, and they made some changes. And, and we had a new pastor. He, he, was, he was kind of my mentor at that time. And, and he did some amazing things within the church. And he started to bring a little bit. It was not Ridgepoint-style music just yet, but it was, it was getting there. And they did something that just threw the whole church, not the whole church, but half the church in uproar. They removed the organ from the sanctuary. And if you've been part of a church like that, you know what that could mean. They took the organ out and, and they started making some changes and bringing some instruments up on the stage. It wasn't the organ. And then that pastor didn't last very long. He was actually voted out and there's some things that took place. And, and then I'll never forget the first week he was gone. An older gentleman, I didn't even know him that well. But I was kind of the one remaining staff member at that point, and I'm still just this young youth pastor. And he comes up to me. He hadn't been to church in a couple of months. And he comes up to me that first Sunday that the pastor's gone. He shakes my hand. He doesn't say, hey, how are you doing or anything like that. He looks at me and he says, when are we moving the organ back? And they said this. He said, we can't worship without an organ. 
And I remember like hearing that thinking like, what Bible verse do we get that from? Like, like what did David do back in the day when they didn't have organs? If you can't, like, like sometimes in churches, we have a tendency just to, to, to fight about some things that really don't matter. And, and there's other times we have discussions about things that really do matter. And, and this series, as we launch into this, I, I want to have a discussion about some things that do matter. Because even though I think at times on the local level, Individual churches can, can have some of those fights, and, and, and most of us have been through some of those where it left us a little bit frustrated. I get that. But on the global level, the church, and why I love the church, is because the church is still called the bride of Christ. And even though we make some mistakes, and even though there's some silliness from time to time and fighting about petty things, the truth is Jesus still looks at the church and says, despite our flaws, despite the fact that we can be a little bit selfish at times, the church is still my bride, and I love her. And there was this verse that, that, that Jesus gives. There's this, this message Jesus gives earlier in the Bible. We're going to turn to Acts in just a second. But we're going to look at a couple of different passages this morning, both written by Luke. Luke wrote in the Gospels, he wrote the story of the life of Jesus. And it's amazing. We talked about actually in Camp RPC this past week that, that Luke wrote about the life of Jesus and let people know in his time about who Jesus was. And 2,000 years later, we're still reading his history of both the life of Jesus, and also the history of the, the early church in the book of Acts. We're actually going to turn to Matthew first and later on to Acts. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is, is speaking to Peter. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, who do you think that I am? Or who do people think that I am? And Peter first responds, what people think he is. Some thought he's John the Baptist. Some thought he was Elijah. And then Jesus says, but Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter says this, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus replies and says this, and I want to see this about the local church and about the church universal. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, a couple of things about this, this statement that Jesus gives. First of all, he has a little play on words that we lose in, in our language today. Jesus was speaking in, in Greek and in Aramaic, but he, but he says this, he uses the name of Peter. The name Peter literally meant rock, but it meant little rock. It was the word Petros. And he says, you're, you're Peter, you're a little rock. But then he says, but upon this Petra, this big rock, this boulder, I'm going to build my church. And, and here's the thing is that sometimes God uses really, really small people to bring about incredible movements. And incredible statements. And he says, Peter, you have no idea, but the statement that you just made, your name is Peter Little Rock, but upon the huge boulder of a statement that you made, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Two things about that. First of all, Jesus speaks about the church itself as a future endeavor. So he was reading Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. We read that the church hasn't yet happened. That happens in Acts, which is the history of the early church. Acts 2 is the launching of the church. And so Jesus speaks to Peter and says, here's the deal. The future church is coming. It's going to be this incredible movement, something we've never seen before. But he said, one thing is, is that it's a future endeavor. But the second thing is, it's going to face its challenges. But it's going to be successful. And it's crazy because over the past 2,000 years, as the church kind of began at its, its grassroots 
endeavor and, and continued to grow and eventually affected the whole world with this message of Jesus and, and his resurrection. The church continued to thrive, even though for centuries people have been saying that the church is going to die and, and, and they've made statements like God is dead, it's the age of scientific reasoning, and yet we see today more than ever the church continues to do incredible work, and, and across the world, there's pockets of times that we get it wrong, and individual churches that make some mistakes and, and get misguided because the church is full of people. But the church itself universally continues to thrive. It's not that we don't have our problems. We do, and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is, is what do we do when we face those issues? See, here's what I want us to get, because a lot of people will look at the church, especially people who are outside of the church. They'll look at the church and, and they can be critical, but, but I think for most people, there's a small pocket who's going to expect the church to be perfect, but I think for most people that are outside the walls of the church, they look at the church and realize, man, it's, it's normal people just like how they are except for they follow Jesus. They're not always going to get it right. And so the issue isn't not having issues. I think everyone looks at the world and says, I know that we're going to have issues. The issue is not, not having issues. It's failing to confront them when we're made aware of them. And that's true in our life or in the life of the church. We all have stuff that we deal with. The issue isn't not having stuff. None of us is ever going to be perfect. So the issue isn't not trying to be perfect. The issue is when we're confronted with the issues of our day, the stuff that we're supposed to confront and deal with, that we're willing to do so. And we've seen this throughout the history of the church that, that even though in pockets and seasons they might get it wrong. And there have been times throughout the history of the church, even in the recent history, that we've gotten in trouble as a church universally because we tried to take some scripture that was given to us and, and we tried to misapply it. And, and so because of that, whenever we do that, whenever we interject either our opinion into the discussion or we interject a, a false understanding of what Jesus or what Scripture is trying to say. We get ourselves in a really, really dangerous spot. And that's where we start fighting about things that the world looks at us and says, Why are you fighting about this when these things don't matter? But when the church is led by God's Spirit... Even though it's full of fallen human beings and we make mistakes, when the church says, man, we want to rise up, we want to do the right thing, the church collectively works together. I'll never forget one of the greatest experiences that, that I had early on in, in, in ministry was I had a chance to go right after Hurricane Katrina hit up in the New, in the New Orleans area. Uh, there's a group of people right away that moved. It actually hit, hit, hit closer to Mississippi, and we're stationed outside of Gulfport, Mississippi. And we were there about six months after the fact well, by that time, there's still a lot of damage, but a lot of the early people that were responding were starting to go home. For the next two years, there was actually an article in the paper uh, a year and a half later that said all of the other groups have, have gone home. They had other lives and other disasters they started to uh, address. But they said the only people that are still remaining are the evangelical churches that have come to our area to help out. And it's not that the church always gets it right, and, and we have to be aware, and, and, and when we have issues, we have to be willing to deal with it. But two things. One is Jesus is talking about the church being a future thing, and it was coming. And the second thing is Jesus says, I'm, I promise you, the church is going to face issues. But the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And so the maturity of the church is to say, when we start to face those issues... What do we do about 
those issues. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the advent of the early church. And, and the thing is, the early church was made mostly of disciples who just encountered Jesus as he was risen. And so because of that, it seemed pretty simple at that point. In Acts 2, there's unity and everyone's together. And it's a really small group of individuals. But give it 30 years, which is about the amount of time that the book of Acts covers. And through those 30 years, thousands and thousands of people are being reached, sometimes on a daily basis. And so all of a sudden, they're adding all of these new people. And like with any organization, the church is supernatural and that it's led by God, but it also is full of human beings and, and we're processing through things as humans. And so that's why there's sometimes a struggle within the church. And so, the thir- so through those 30 years, we start to see people added. And it's just like here. When people start to add to church, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the mission? What does that look like? That's why for us, Discover RPC is such a huge deal to say, hey, this is our mission. Let's try to rally around that mission. But here there's thousands of people being added, sometimes on a daily basis. And so through the book of Acts, we start to see them having to deal with what happens when issues arise within not just a local church, but on a, on a much grander scale. What happens when issues arise? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 15. And right in the history of the early church, we see one of these issues arise. And it's one of the cool things because early on in church history, actually after this for the next couple hundred years, they would convene these councils and say, hey, we have to figure out what we believe about this and we got to pray about God's spirit leading us in this. And, and so early on in the church history, when they're dealing with some of these bigger issues, all the churches would get together and say, hey, let's figure this out together and I believe that through that, God's spirit was preserving the church. One of the issues that, that arises in Acts chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, we won't t- take time to read this whole chapter, but in Acts 15 verse 1, it says this. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So what had happened is the church had started to, to grow and they started to, to see more people come to realize who Jesus was and get plugged in. And, and even some of the people that were getting plugged in used to be part of the Pharisees, these religious elite of, of Jewish leaders who say, okay, now we've come to recognize Jesus. But they're struggling with this idea that up until that point, their religion was based upon a rule, a law, and you're expected to follow that law. And so they said, hey, we love that the church is, is growing and, and we've come to accept Jesus and his resurrection, but hold on, there's, there's this, this stuff we've always done that we feel like has to continue to be a part of the church. They said, okay, what is that? And they said, well, we feel like all of the Gentile males who are adults who want to be part of the church that weren't circumcised as adults now have to go back and get circumcised. Because for the Jewish culture, that was, that was the way that they did things. That was the, their sign of the covenant with God. And so they said in their, in their mind, they couldn't wrap their heads around, well, how could someone be spiritual and not follow these laws? And so it's awesome, but then they started to add to salvation, which was supposed to be by grace through faith, not of works. They started adding to it, saying you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And one of those things is within the church are saying, okay, if you want to be saved, literally it says if you're going to be saved, you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And so Paul and Barnabas enter the discussion and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. That's not what we're teaching. 
let's deal with this. Like that seems kind of a, a rough thing to put on these guys to make them do this. And there begins to be this discussion and it says that some of the Pharisees rise up and say, no, this is a mark of spiritual maturity and, and this is what they should do. And, and so it isn't just Paul and Barnabas, but eventually Peter enters into the fray and they begin to have this discussion. We'll skip down to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Now Peter's always been kind of hot and cold, but Peter stands up and makes this definitive statement. Brothers. You know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. He says, wait a minute. Guys, there's this whole new group of believers. Man, they get it. They got the message that everything about the old way of doing things was pointing to Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, everything's supposed to be about him, but we're doing something. We're pointing back to the old way of doing things. And by pointing back to the old way of doing things, we're trying to put a yoke upon them that even we've been unable to bear. See, the Old Testament, everyone thought, well, it's just based upon works, and you do this, 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 and this. Even though the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus, they thought it was all about their adherence to a set of rules. And Peter said, listen, our fathers weren't able to keep all the rules. That's kind of the point of the gospel. We haven't been able to keep all the rules. So if we who are steeped in this tradition, who've been raised believing this from the beginning, have been unable to keep all of this, why do we then go and put this yoke on somebody else? It's funny, we fast forward 2,000 years. This is kind of a side comment, but sometimes I see this in the church. Sometimes, especially in a traditional church setting, we have a bunch of traditions and rules that have just been handed down like, you can't worship without an organ. And we put this yoke on people, and, and the Bible never said that. It was never meant to be that way. And so Peter makes a statement and says, wait a minute. We're putting a yoke upon these, these, these new believers that was never meant to be there. We've not been able to keep it. Our fathers weren't able to keep it. Why do we put this yoke on them when they get what the church is supposed to be about? There's more discussion. Paul and Barnabas enter into the discussion. They share some of the testimony of what they've seen. And then finally, James, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up. Everyone gets quiet, and, and he responds in verse 19. He says, therefore, my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. By the way, if there's one verse which encapsulates the vision of Ridgepoint Church, it's, it's this. This is why we exist. Our goal is for those people who are outside of church not to put a bunch of rules to make it difficult. And, and, and so James, responding to this council, says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should make it as easy as possible. And it's literally this easy, what Peter said earlier. It's simply by grace through faith. It's what saved Peter. And it's what saved the, the new Gentiles who are converting to Jesus. And so the council convenes, they say, okay, let's, let's try to pick up this issue. And for the next several hundred years, over and over and over again, 
we see the church addressing the issues and saying, hey, we don't, we don't know about this. This, this. this teaching has popped up, and we're not sure about this. So let's convene a council together and figure this thing out. And for the next several hundred years, they have a bunch of these councils to make sure, and that's how I believe God was preserving the church to make sure that even on an individual basis at times, we might get this wrong. That globally, universally, the church is saying, man, we want to be led by God's spirit. And there's this promise of Jesus that the church was going to come, and that even though it would face the issues of their day, that the church ultimately would prevail. The issue is how we confront the issues of the church and the promise of Jesus to preserve the church. And that necessitates us today dealing with issues. Now I want to say this as we launch out in this. We've got a three-week series beginning today. Most of what I just talked about was the introduction. I want to hit one topic real quick. We're going to wrap up it really briefly this morning. The next couple of weeks, we're going to deal with some, maybe some heavier issues. Uh, I've talked to some people. I've talked to some friends. and said, man, what are the three biggest issues we face in the church today, and we're going to kind of share those in the next couple of weeks. I think that more than ever, more than ever in my lifetime, we see this among our nation, but I think we see it among the world. The, the world's divided. There's issues we're dealing with. Even, uh, I know a lot of us aren't really focused on the church world, but even in the church world, there's been a lot of discussions lately about a lot of different, different issues that are taking place. And we have to be aware, because I think these things are a whole lot bigger deal than the color of the carpet or the, the music style that we have in church. These are huge deals with seismic consequences. And so I want to just hit on one of these real briefly this morning. The next couple of weeks are, are two that are, little, that are a, little bit, a little bit bigger. But, but for us to talk about what we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about first, Jesus comes as this, this full embodiment of, of both grace and truth. He comes as both of those things. Everybody say grace with me real quick. Grace. grace. Say truth. truth. Jesus is both of those things. He comes as, as grace and truth, the full embodiment of both. He's not half one and half the other. He's a full embodiment of both. And at some point in the church, I think over the past 60 years, the church started focusing on one at the expense of the other. And this is just me studying and observing church history over the last maybe 60 or 70 years. But it seemed like at some point, the church really got heavy on one side and said, man, we're really going to focus on truth and if you're not on our side of these issues, then you're the enemy. And they were truth, truth, truth. And the only thing they really loved was truth itself. And Jesus says, I want to be the embodiment of grace and truth. So they nailed the truth side. But on the flip side, they probably missed the, the grace part of it. And Jesus says, I want to be the full embodiment of both. And so that's why over the last 60 or 70 years, what the church has been known for is sometimes being angry Sometimes protesting, and sometimes even being hateful to the other side, which we should never be. Because when we point a finger, there's a whole bunch of fingers pointing back at ourselves. And so here's what I've seen just by way of observation. Is that at some point in the last 15 or 20 years, there's a whole bunch of people that say, man, I want to follow Jesus. And especially among the younger crowd, which we'd identify with being part of that younger crowd of churches. And they said, man, we've seen the church for 60 or 70 years, and it seems like the church is just always angry. They're always mad. And so we said, we want to deal with these issues. And because the pendulum was so far on this side, it was in danger of falling off the moorings. When it snapped back to the other side, it snapped back abruptly and fully to the other side. 
And here's just my observation over the last couple of years is that where we are in danger of going as kind of the younger generation of churches is that we'll say, man, we, we love the grace side now. Because over here on the grace side, there's no confrontation. Like, it's, it's really, really simple. And, and so I like that side. And so we go, and, and there's things that even that we could be really, really good at, things like going out and, and building homes and things like going out and, and feeding people, because Jesus did this. Jesus always met the physical need first in order to meet the spiritual need. Jesus was beginning to develop a whole new economy. And the currency of the new economy was love. That's why when Jesus comes, his teaching is so different, it's so transformative, because up until the day of Jesus, they'd never heard this. They didn't know they are supposed to love each other. And so Jesus comes and says, we're going to develop a whole new economy. As believers in me, we're going to develop this whole new economy, and the currency of our economy is going to be love. And so we get that, and, and we gravitate towards that, because over here, there's not a whole lot of confrontation. It's really easy to get excited about those type of projects because there's not confrontation and everybody loves them. But we come in danger of is not getting the truth side of it if, we, if all we do is this. Oh, we'll go out and serve and you can believe whatever you want. And, and that is also not what Jesus came to teach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. Paul's writing and he says there's a lot of stuff that's been going on but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, we're going to do a lot of good, and, and Jesus did all of those things, but every time he met a physical need in their life, it was so that he could eventually relate it back to a spiritual need. Paul says, I want us to do the good thing. I want us to fight the good fight. I want us to make sure that we're teaching the right thing. But along with that, the most important thing is what do people believe about Jesus? And if he comes into their life, how does he transform your life? Because listen, we, we do a bunch of those projects and in 10 days we're going to be dedicating a home to this family that right here in Auburndale and in a couple months we're going to be building a home or a couple of homes in Honduras and, and I'm not saying we snap away from those things, we should be doing those things. But the gospel, if I'm over here on this side, the gospel without justice is careless. It's not really the gospel. But social justice without the gospel is powerless. Both of those things are necessary. Paul says, listen, I want to make sure that we handle the physical side of things. And we're going to do that. But along with that, the most important thing, the most important message, and the most important question is, what do we do with Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face right now in our history, 2018, as a church, is that sometimes there's been such a snapback. I, I see a, a lot of... Uh, my friends even, that are young believers, they get really excited about their, kind of their pet projects. But in the midst of that, something we'll talk about a little bit next week, sometimes our politics get in the way of actually what the Bible says about things. So you have to be careful, be guided by truth. Jesus came as the full embodiment of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I just want to thank you for the example that, that Jesus set in our life. He came, as we shared, as his full embodiment of, of grace and truth. He commands us today as believers in 2018 to be willing to speak the truth in love. God, I think the issue we dealt with as a church 70 years ago was that we we're heavy on the side of truth, but, but maybe light on the side of grace. 
And God, my fear now is that we can shift to the other side and be heavy on the side of grace and somehow not speak truth. And so God, I pray that you guide us individually as, as your extension of your local church right here in the Auburndale, Winter Haven area. God, to be able to do both of these things really, really well. To love our community, to let them know that they matter, to, to, to stand up and let people know that they have value before you and before us. But that, God, because of that value, we place a high premium not just upon their bodies, but upon their souls. God, let us be your, the extension of your church locally. Let us try to, to fight this good fight, to do things just right. Because, we, God, we believe this idea that when we invite Jesus into our life, he makes our lives better. But, God, that he also makes us better at life. God, we exist as a church to make Jesus known. And, and God, I pray this morning, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus, that today would be the day that they say, man, I want to I claim his free gift. I know he, that he died on a cross for my sin. And that, God, because of that sacrifice, we're able to make a decision to follow you. God, let us be that full embodiment of grace and truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.